بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam alright continuing our exploration through Surah An-Nisa we're speaking about coveting and that men will have a share of what they have earned women will have a share of what they have earned do not ask or do ask Allah of his bounties. And one of the points we left off with was that you should aim really high in what you are seeking from Allah. And we've conditioned ourselves, too many of us have conditioned ourselves to be too afraid to ask every, anything because we're too afraid of being disappointed. So then the treatment against that disappointment is number one, increase of gratitude with the intention of being pleased with whatever Allah gives you. Then when you're asking Allah, you're asking more out of the joy of making these requests from Allah, asking how, trying to imagine how Allah will answer your questions. You should hear the du'as I make to Allah Ta'ala. I mean, if you already have a sense of, you know, how bizarre my personality is, imagine my conversations with, with Allah Ta'ala, right? You know, um, yeah. But uh, so bring us back to these ayahs. And... Surely Allah is aware of all things. We address much of that in terms of Allah knows what people have earned, so forth and so on. But also, Allah knows those of us who are coveting, who are secretly longing for what other people have. If you are secretly longing for what someone else has, you should be praying to Allah for his bounties. Rather than long for what someone else has direct that energy to ask the one who provided it to that person in the first place but a key however is to do something to earn it okay so what am i doing we're working this in the reverse order allah knows everything uh which means then he knows what you are coveting so Pray to Allah for what you are coveting so you can have it. But also understand that your likelihood of getting what you want is higher if you work towards it. Think of the very famous hadith that we quote one way, the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, where he is saying that, and you all know the hadith, if you see something wrong, what? Anyone? 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 Change it with your hands. Okay, very good, mashallah. And if not, if you can't do that, then? Use your tongue. Change it with your tongue. And if you can't do that, then feel bad about it in your heart. That is the weakest of faith. We usually apply that hadith in the context of something wrong in society. Use it also in your analysis of yourself. If you see something wrong in yourself, change it with your hands. Meaning, do action to change it. And if you can't do that, change it with your tongue. Meaning, make dua. But also, adhkar. And if you can't do that, then feel bad about it in your heart, at least. That's the weakest of faith. So what I'm saying, apply that exact hadith, not just only to social change, but also to personal change as well. So. All righty. 
We then move to Aya 33. Everyone wants to look at 34. We will look at Aya 33. For everyone, we have made heirs in what the parents and the nearest of kin have left. As for those with whom you have made a pledge, give them their shares. Surely Allah's witness over everything. This supports the point that a lot of us were struggling with when we went through the inheritance ayahs where we saw that as the rule of what you're supposed to do with your wealth. And this is why I kept having to emphasize, no, that is the last resort of what you do with your wealth. What you do with your wealth prior to your death is up to you. And this is another proof of that, that before the inheritance, if you made a pledge to give some of your wealth to somebody, then you owe them that money. So, you know, this is uh, that time of the year. You know it's Ramadan because you start receiving 50 trillion emails for fundraising. You know, I don't even know how many emails I received today. Uh, last Friday of Ramadan, make sure you make it a good one. I don't know why I'm giving them a Desi accent, the probably Arab. But, but the point here is that um, if you've made a pledge, that's money, free inheritance that you have to hand off. So if I make a pledge that I'm going to give each of my children uh, a split of my wealth, that's my intention. Let's say for whatever reason, uh, I didn't get around to it. That's pre-inheritance. But the bigger point being that <clears throat> remember that the inheritance ayah is the ayah. It's the last resort. What you do with your wealth prior is of higher concern because you're still alive right now. Hamid B. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Uh, not to visit the previous things, but along the lines of the inheritance, what's the difference then between a will and uh, making a pledge? The pledge that can be for anything. You know, like I pledge that I'm going to give $10 to you know, to Hamid's lunch fund. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, well, let's say, for example, like you have kids, right? And uh, while you're alive, you say, I pledge to give my kids an equal share. But your intention is, you know, you know you're going to die. So you're just kind of like taking the... Go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry. I guess I'm kind of confused. Like, is it that no. simple to kind of... No, it's not. I mean... What I am speaking of is, let's say... I want to give half my wealth to a daughter, number one, half my wealth to a daughter, number two, and I'm headed to the bank to do so, and I die on the way there. So it has to be like like an, like an a pledge that you intend to do all your life. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, Jewel says, in your example, does that mean during one's life one can promise an inheritance and then not honor it? And if uh, I don't think, I think the answer to your question, Jewel, is no, but I'm not sure that I'm quite understanding it. Does that mean during one's life one can promise an inheritance and then not honor it? No. Um, if it's before death, this is permissible. If it's before death, then it doesn't count as, you wouldn't call it an inheritance. It's, you know, let's say I want to give uh, Basith money for what looks like an even larger uh, water bottle. Uh, but I don't get around to doing it because, again, I die. You can keep the water bottle there. It reminds you of water. But like I had a student here literally uh, an hour and a half ago who was showing me her photos of food. 
And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I love smelling food when I'm fasting. And I love looking at photos of food. In any case, the point is we're speaking here not about anything we would call inheritance, but money you want to give to somebody, money that you have pledged. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Jewel, let me know. Any other questions about this? For our purposes, we don't have as much because we've been speaking so much. This is sort of reminding of what you do with your money before you die, before you actually have to resort to an inheritance, before you die to give the inheritance. Now, before death is not inheritance, so just breaking promise. Yes. Here goes what is, for many people, the least of the many favorite ayahs of the Quran, ayah 34. There are papers and papers written about this ayah. Let's skip it. Let's go to 36. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Ayah 34, the very famous, Ar-Rijalu Awamuna Nisa. Are we done yeah. the screen? Say it again. We don't oh, see the you have to look at the screen too. Seriously. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm having a bad connection. Okay, no, there it is. Loading. Y'all can see it now. In, okay, very good. So, for many people, this is one of those shelf ayahs, but this is much closer to home. So let's go through it first. The first, well, I'll just read the first, the whole translation that we can discuss. Men are the caretakers, protectors, maintainers in charge of women because Allah has made some of them excel others, because Allah has made some of them excel others, because some of them is Allah has made some of them excel others, and because of the wealth they have spent. So the righteous women are obedient and they guard in their husband's absence with protection given by Allah. As for women of whom you fear rebellion, 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 convince them. Oh, interesting. Here, admonish them. Here, admonish them. Leave them apart in beds. Remain apart from them in beds. Banish them to beds apart and beat them. Beat them. Scourge them. Yeah, that's a scary word. Then if they obey you, do not seek a way against them. Surely Allah is the highest, the greatest. Then if they obey you, do not seek a way to harm them. Allah is the exalted, the greatest. Allah is ever, uh, do not seek a way against them. Allah is uh, ever high, exalted, great. Why do I pick these translations? Mufti Taqi Usmani is a Deobandi. will give a very, very traditional uh, common, uh, translation. Maududi is in the school of revivalists. He will give a slightly different uh, uh, translation. And then you have Piktal, which is the original translation translator by Muslims into English. I also had Halim here, and I don't know what happened to Halim. Um, yeah. Okay. So how should we approach this? Uh, one way is to do the usual approach, which is to go through it piece by piece. Or my suggestion is anybody raise any of their reflections right from the start. Because the vast majority of you are already familiar with this ayah. You may not have been familiar with ayah 33, maybe not even ayah 32, but perhaps all of you are familiar with ayah 34. So what are your thoughts? And as usual, you're all welcome to and encouraged to share whatever it is you want to share. And we all appreciate what everyone in the class is sharing. Who wants to break the ice? 
you know, some guy is going to try to break the ice. So I'm asking one of the women to break the ice. I'm happy to go for um, it, Danya. Thank you, Danya. I I just want to comment. I I think the 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 translation of um is so interesting, um, because the way the way it's used, like bikum fi someone, it's like I think more closely related to caretaker, but it's like more than that. It's like the supporter mm-hmm. so i'm finding the like translation of protector or in charge of interesting i think it's taking it um it's more interpret it's using more interpretation than actual translation so i'm curious as to why that is or your thoughts on that i'll i'll leave it at that the rest uh-huh. of the i i mean we'll get to okay inshallah let's see if we can pull up Oh, Halim is here. And man, 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 this is uh, this was a team that included women, but it's probably still the same. I don't know who this is. Uh, let's include the Saudi-endorsed translation. And T.B. Irving, Bajada didn't get much attention. Uh, all right, let's see if anything changes. Men are in charge of women. Okay. And then Abdul Halim, Husbands should take good care of their wives. Halim lives in England. Men are protectors. Men are in charge. Men are the ones who should support women. This is T.B. Irving. Men are protectors and maintainers. Anyone else want to share any thoughts? Reflections. Marwa. Hey, assalamu alaikum. Um... Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. So this, these other translations raised a question I have, which is just clarifying, like, is it really, in our interpretation, should we think about it as men and women or husbands and wives, right? Nice. Because I think those are two different sets of, I don't know, that's just a big difference to me. And so mm-hmm. I, I've always had that question about this ayah. So that's, that's a wonderful question. I think the rest of the ayah seems to indicate it's husbands and wives. Yeah, uh, but I do know of people who speak of this as general gender guidelines, but the context of the ayah seems to indicate it's marriage. Okay, and then I just had one other comment. Assuming that that does help and clarify, um, and then you know that second piece of sort of uh, Allah has made some of them, you know, excel the others or whatever, however you want to define that second part. Yes. Um, I'm kind of, uh, that part doesn't actually make me that uncomfortable because, you know, if nothing else, it's, and I think one of the translations had like, you know, men are physically different than women. Right. And so there's just sort of this natural, um, it's one of the ways that men are different from women. And I don't really, um, maybe I just don't interpret it beyond kind of physical and strength and that kind of thing. Yeah. Makes sense. Anyone else want to share? And we can also open the floor to the uh, male genre of humans here. Ulfat. I mean, Ulfat's not of the male genre, but yeah. Uh, so the the word qawamun, I actually heard a lecture where the speaker kind of used, I guess, tafsir Qur'an with Qur'an to look at the word, the root word of qawama. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she she said that it basically means standing up for women, which is something that I heard a couple of other scholars also use. Um, 
but it doesn't necessarily mean um, that they basically get to boss women around. <laughs> mm -hmm. Good. Take a look. If it's that form, we have custodians steadfast. Hmm. But then look at all these other ones. Into I mean, this word appears in many, many, many different conjugations throughout the Quran. How many times? Look at all that. Okay. 600 times. Other thoughts, reflections. Nobody has any other thoughts on the Saya? Well, I can I can continue if that's okay. I have more thoughts. Go for it, Marwa. <laughs> um, so maybe just to jump to the last part, right? The the part that's probably the most um, you know, it, it raises some discomfort around. Well, there's a lot to talk about, but you know, strike them, right, or tap them, or beat them, or however it's uh, translated. Yes. Um, I mean, I have heard in other um, courses that like the first thing people mention is. Um, through the uh, Shema'il and the Sunnah and the example of the Prophet, um, how he actually embodied that, right, as as the main reference point for how to interpret that. So I'd love to clarify that for you. So that's an interesting point uh, in terms of the need of the Sunnah, that uh, there are some who, at least in theory, are Quran only, and will give various arguments for why not following the sunnah and or the hadith. And I'm speaking of those as two different things. I can explain the difference later on if somebody wants. But uh, the the word daraba here uh, doesn't give us any indication of intensity. And that gets answered uh, very much so by the prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, and so the prophet is saying you can't leave any marks. And it's the equivalent of taking a toothbrush miswalk and tapping so it becomes almost like a ritualistic behavior as opposed to a punitive measure think of it as a symbolic move as opposed to an actual punishment the way you might smack a child i'm not saying you should smack your children i'm definitely not saying you should smack other people's children but the point here is uh that gets answered very much so in the sunnah marwa did you have more you want to share Um, I mean, I guess I also like what I have not um, explored in other classes that much is sort of the sequence of the steps, right? So, well, maybe we go back to like, what does obedient mean, right? And are there scenarios where, uh, how should we interpret that across all the different scenarios of, you know, what could be happening, especially be between a husband and a wife or in a family? Mm -hmm. This is, uh, I think it was in this class when I went through some of the, uh, uh, early on, maybe it was in the first couple of eyes when I talked about the obligations of husbands and wives. And a lot of that comes literally from this ayah right here. Um, came from some eyes before as well. Um, and so, yeah, we'll go through this piece by piece. Hamid, you had your hand raised. Uh, yes, I just wanted to add along the same lines of the, um, the uh, whole beating topic. I've heard in other classes, even when it comes to the punishments where someone would need to be whipped, that there are various uh, particular guidelines where you're not allowed to break the skin. The, the person whipping is not allowed to swing his arm or, like past his elbow. Oh, no, no, past his shoulder. 
so I feel like a lot of times we read these types of things of like, oh, someone needs to be whipped 30 times for X, Y, Z, or, oh, look here, we're supposed to beat women. Uh, but we kind of uh, leave behind how that was prophetically embodied and even the rules uh, behind okay. how these things should be carried out. What would be the pushback on, that, on your point? Pushback on my point? Yeah. So your point is well taken, uh, mm -hmm. agreed upon. That, I mean, we still have to cut off people's hands. We still have to execute people. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yes, your point is well taken that, like, when we see things about, you know, adulterers being whipped, there's very strict rules even for that, too. That's your point. So, um, but the point I'm making is that there are, however, other punishments that are far more severe. Make sense? Yes. So, no, but your point is still well taken. So. Shela. So um, I think it's important to discuss the cultural context in which this was revealed, because like we have, you know, with other ayahs, we've discussed, you know, kind of what was being done pre-Islam, right? And so then this was possibly like a restriction upon what was already being done. And so then, you know, because this is not probably considered fard, right? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to do this in our culture today, right? Mm -hmm. So we can we can kind of go beyond that. Um, but this is po it's possible that this is a restriction of what was being done. Do you have uh, that information? That is a very important point. So a little bit of the backstory <laughs> is that a woman came to the prophet, peace be upon him, uh, complaining that her husband hit her. So what was the prophet's reaction? Anybody know? The prophet was taking her back to the husband for her to hit him back. And then the prophet received this ayah. Although he probably received this ayah as well as 35 uh, with it. Because those two ayahs, we always, we always skip 35. 34 and 35 actually go together. And we'll be looking at all of it, inshallah. You know. And... And there's another ayah that I'll actually have to look up. I'll have for tomorrow, inshallah, but I think it's ayah 4 uh, or ayah 112. Let me just look really quickly. No, uh, I'll have to find it. But um, that also fits in the same universe. So I would say it absolutely, uh, in terms of their context, it absolutely is a is a restriction. And I think in our context, it's also absolutely a restriction as well, as opposed to a prescription. And then we'll walk through uh, my, my reasoning on that, uh, you know, step by step, inshallah. Uh, one thing I'll also say to emphasize the, uh, of it not being a prescription, I doubt that there's too many cases where this was used as a reason for a man to hit his wife, you know, as opposed to many men using this as a justification for, for hitting their wives. And I think that's a big, big difference. So relate to, to your point, even I think in contemporary context, this is a restriction, not a prescription. But we'll walk through my reasoning on that. Makes sense, Sean. Sadia. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So um, 
So uh, you mentioned uh, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam took him, took her to the husband and have her hit him, right? Yeah, but before they got there, then he received the ayah. So. Right. So did the ayah about an eye for an eye came before this one? Is this oh, that's a good point. Did that? Uh, probably. Because mm. that came early in Al-Baqarah. So that could be where the Prophet's reasoning is coming from. That was, right. that was pretty deep, mashallah. Yeah. Thanks. And also, it says, whom you fear arrogance. Not like the arrogance has already happened. Mm -hmm. But like, how do we define that? Like, what are the boundaries of fearing arrogance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that will definitely, we'll be talking about uh, when we get to that step, inshallah. It's a very, very big point right there. Thank you. Excellent. Any other initial thoughts, questions, reflections? Olfat. Um, so I think in the beginning of Ramadan, when you mentioned obedience to the husband, which part of this area were you referring to? Qanitat. But he did, but Allah didn't say ta'ayat. He said qanitat. So my understanding is that's referring to obedience to Allah. So in terms of the uh, commentaries, you find both more people seem to be arguing that it's obedience to the husband. Uh, over the years of uh, uh, people coming to me for help with their marriages, I've been leaning actually in the other direction, that this is more obedience to the uh, to Allah. But we'll also get to that one too. Chilla. Yeah. Uh, um, now you mentioned about this is restriction. So, so uh, can you explain a little bit like as compared to prescription, what is restriction? It's like so it'll make more sense as we go through it step by step, inshallah. You know, okay. and we're speaking about the second half of the ayah more so as, as the restriction portion. So. Anyone else? Shayla, is your hand newly raised or is it still raised from before? Oh, no, I'll put it down. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's start going through this step by step. First, what does this mean that men are the hawams? Of women, I think the contentions that were raised are very, very sound contentions. And it seems to me, and I'm not saying this to be all nicey nicey, that it seems to me that the principle here is not that men are the caretakers of women, but are there to provide support for women, which could manifest as taking care, depending upon the relationship. Uh, but the in charge as we read in English, doesn't seem to me to fit. Uh, and so maybe they're good, taking good care of their wives, but essentially support helping women stand seems to be, or that is closer to my understanding. Adnan. So I had a quick question. So on that point, um, I guess I've heard some other people talk about it too. When they say caretakers, uh, they framed it in a way like in public space, for example, it's like the collective responsibility of men to ensure um, that like people are safe, for example, right? Like uh, in terms of viewing, being a caretaker of women, like uh, would you say that that could apply or is that like a I think I think that is what men should take upon themselves as a responsibility 
I'm cautious to say that this is what this ayah is saying, but it still fits. Uh, the ayah still seems to overall be speaking in the context of marriage. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, for example, you know, this conversation comes up when, when Ilhan Omar is getting slandered left and right. And then some, you know, some people in our community is like, well, I don't like her politics, but she's not being slandered for her politics. She's being slandered because she's a Muslim woman. She covers her hair. She's a person of color. Uh, and uh, I think every man should feel compelled to defend her. That, I think, is a thing that I would agree with. Whether it's coming from this ire or not is a different point. Got it. Make sense? Mm -hmm. By the way, your name is misspelled on your thing, which is kind of weird. You know, I just wanted to make sure you were paying attention. Mashallah, I appreciate this. This student has become the thanks, teacher. Thanks for noticing. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you appreciating me. Okay, so, so yeah, uh, that's how I take this first part. And then related to, by what Allah has bestowed upon them, part of that is strength. On average, the husband is probably going to be more strong than the wife. Physically. Endurance-wise, who knows, right? I mean, I've already made that 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 joke about you know pregnancy versus passing a kidney stone. But no, in reality, uh, I don't imagine myself having the capacity to have a baby okay, in any aspect of having a baby. So we can argue in terms of of all those other things, but uh, if we add to it, even not in a condescending way the tendency of men to be more on the rational side, women to be more on the emotional side as a feature, not as a bug. Uh, that is also something to be taken as part of this. So, uh, Sadia. Yeah, I I'm, I really um, like this point because uh, men being rational and women being emotional, um, and I take it as a strength for the different roles that they have been yeah. assigned to. And if women didn't have that emotional capability or, you know, they wouldn't be able to raise the families and build relationships that is so integral to, uh, for the family and community and, and, you know, building whole generations. Whereas yeah. if men were, you know, they, they have to be outside in the outside world, if they were uh, too emotional or were not rational, then it would be very difficult for them to really navigate the the world, you mm -hmm. know. So if we look at the roles um, and how their brains function, I think it's it's very very consistent to that, and mm -hmm. they are made to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I think if we really believe in that and we understand that part that, okay, this is how their brain functions. This is how my brain functions, whoever it is, men or women, it's just going to solve a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Good. Thank you for that. And so, so that's the first part. <clears throat> now, same thing related to Adnan's question. Could this be referring to the general obligation men have in society uh, towards women in society? Sure. Uh, now, then we have attributes of the salihat, which again could be referring to the context of marriage or uh, marriage, or it could be referring to the context of women in society. Uh, 
So reading them both ways. On a thought, and so Olfat's contention is, is very sound. When we see on a thought, when we see this, uh, it seems to be speaking devoutly obedient to Allah. So there's the big ayah in Surah Al-Ahzab, where this word is also being used. And that seems to be the case. Commentaries seem to be indicating more obedience to the husband. And so, and I think I may have mentioned this uh, when we were discussing it earlier in the surah, that I've seen every single combination work, and I've seen every single combination not work. So much so that when I'm officiating a marriage, I think I mentioned, I require the bride and groom to go through religious counseling with me. They have to go through premarital counseling with a therapist. And then I realized that, you know, younger people need to just taught, be taught how to be an adult, and they can't find anybody except for the most immature 51-year-old, so I'm the one who teaches them how to be an adult. But anyway, the point here is that in terms of a marriage, one of the questions is, who's the alpha? And I've seen every variation. Man, alpha, woman, beta. Woman, alpha, man, beta. Man thinks he's the alpha, but woman's actually the alpha. That's like Basit and Samina's marriage. Basit thinks he's the alpha. Yeah, they're they're exactly, mashallah. Yeah. Notice how Basit suddenly stopped rocking back. Uh, or they're both betas. What does not work is that if they're both alphas. That's basically a recipe for destruction. And that is entirely based not on gender, it's on personality. Basit. You were about to say something. Yeah, can't can't speak, can you? Wait till Samina gives you permission, and then okay. So, yeah, Samina's like, I love this class. This is my favorite class ever. Okay, but the point is that whoever is the alpha will be uh, more of a matter determined by their personalities, not by gender. And I've seen all the scenarios work, and I've seen all the scenarios not work. So the common notion is that the man is the alpha, the woman is the beta. I've seen many cases where it works, and I've seen many cases where it does not work. Um, it's like I have to go now. Okay. So, so here, I've also been leaning. So then when it says that women are devoutly obedient, uh, to when it's interpreted to mean the husband, some are of the opinion that it's 100% obedience. Some are of the opinion that if there is a difference of opinion, then we go with the husband's opinion. Uh, but even for all of that, I'm saying the husband and wife have to get to know each other's personalities. And so thus, I've been leaning more and more towards, not out of any sort of political correctness, more and more towards Olfut's interpretation here that this is actually obedience to a law. This I really started thinking about after we had the the the, the lesson earlier in the month that this is more obedience to a law. If a person is devoutly obedient to a law, then they will have the intention for a lot of other things to work out in the matters of conflict in the marriage. Guarding his secrets. That, I think, is straightforward. This is already an obligation between two Muslims anyway. So how is this understood that, uh, that a lot of times women tend to be more gossipy than men are? In our era, I don't know who's more gossipy, um, especially if we use my undergrads. Uh, um, and I say that, unfortunately, in all seriousness. 
but that is a way that seems to be commonly understood. Shela. So um, it might be the case that women are more gossipy, but also um, I was talking to Nilifer and we were talking about how um, women process things differently, right? So if she's like, you know, if there's an issue, um, she needs to talk to her friends to kind of feel better about it and work through it. Whereas men kind of tend to hold on to it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's trying to gossip. It just means that she's trying to process it. I like that explanation. And in my experiences with 20 year olds, I think that fits perfectly. So thank you for that. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to reflect on that much more. Yeah. But in any case, I'm speaking of what, you know, the commentators are saying. But I like that explanation quite a bit. And that is exactly my experience with 20-year-old men, 20-year-old women. So having said that, now we get to the fun stuff, which we will save for tomorrow, inshallah. It's already 6.40 Chicago time. Any other last questions, thoughts, reflections before we get into the, the heavier part of, of the uh, ayah? Hurram. Um, going back to the first part uh, of the ayah that, uh, so does that reflect that men are also, or or let's say in case of husband and wife, um, husband is also supposed to provide for the wife, like in terms of uh, that, uh, like in the modern example, that husband's supposed to work and wife supposed to not work, and he she's supposed to take care of home, and, and what, what could be the scenario that if she has to work? So conditions why she has to work. If we're speaking of just the textbook historical understanding, he works outside the house, she works inside the house. Right. Right. And I'm emphasizing she works inside the house as opposed to she just stays home. Right. Uh, uh, if we're speaking of our economy, uh, I think it's very hard to have uh an economy on one uh a, a household on one income right um can be done for most people uh especially if you're looking to live in places uh related to safety or quality of schools all those things then uh dual income becomes much much more common and the right. way i frame it to my pre-med students is that your physician father was able to provide you with a lifestyle that is much different than what you will be able to provide to your wife or husband or child, right? Because of the the shifting of the economy. Uh, so the general old school interpretation, and I'm not saying old school in a condescending way, he works outside the house, he, she works inside the house. What she, if she does earn, he has no access to her money. Okay. If she seeks to contribute, then it is 100% donation. Cannot be compelled. But these are also discussions that have to happen before the marriage. The expectation of what type of lifestyle do y'all want? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know whose hands are newly up, either Shala or Sadia. Sadia? Oh, I thought you were, okay. So um, I think how I understood Huram's point was like, in um, in the modern setting, sometimes men are not working; they're staying home. Roles have changed, and 
in that case, how would that, I mean, would the men, would the man still be the, the kawam for the woman? She's the one who is providing. She's doing all the, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think I think those are the discussions that the husband and wife should have. Uh, like another way to frame this, the, uh, these issues uh, are they obligations to a law or are they obligations to the spouse? If we say they're obligations to a law, then they're not negotiable, except by cultural context. If they're obligations to the spouse, and my interpretation is that they're obligations to the spouse, then they're to be discussed. These are recommendations. And and so, yeah, uh, in our economy, uh, it's very common to have one working, two working, or if the, if the husband is working, the wife is not, or the wife is working, the husband is not, or both are working. We have everything in our economy, right? And the funny thing is that in certain cases, which I have seen myself back home, is that even though the man is not working, but he he behaves as if he's like the king of everything. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just exploitation. That's just yeah. sad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have too many uh, cases like that. And again, that's another guy who, another t- scenario that is my job security. Uh, when you have the... Uh, I have many cases of of dads who don't work, but are tyrants in the house. So. Seriously. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections on the first half of is there, a, is there a menu for the tyrant book? Say it again. Is there a menu for the tyrant book? Yeah, the author is Muhammad Kibriyat Chaudhary. No, no, I'm kidding, kidding. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, uh, I have multiple examples of like you know. Dads that are physicians, but for whatever reason, didn't pass their board, so they're at home, and then uh, they spend all day long reading the Quran, while mother is the one who is working to make ends meet for everybody. And usually that dad also has a fiery hot temper, too, right? Perhaps relate to feelings of failure. And those dads also tend to be hyper-masculine, like they admire the the type of masculinity we hear a lot in the in the press. Yeah. All as uh, probably feelings of failure. Any other olfat? So this somewhat relates to the conversation we had earlier, also the other class in the beginning of Ramadan. But let's say it goes with the we go with the interpretation that it's obedience to the husband. Yeah. Which I don't go with, but I say But let's say we that's the interpretation and. The husband doesn't necessarily have to be abusive, mm-hmm. but you know, a bit selfish. So we're not going with the extreme of abuse, but yeah. selfish. How does the the wife navigate that? It has to always be his say what he wants, and she so if she doesn't matter. If well, I don't know if it means that she doesn't matter, but I've seen uh, cases, I've seen households where it seems to work right, uh, as a healthy situation where uh, the wife is devoutly obedient to the husband and they're both happy that way, right? And I think that is more often more uh, related to the personalities and what the people are coming to, uh, uh, what they're expecting ahead of time. So, We've definitely seen cases where the husband is the is the authority and is a tyrant, uh, 
But I am saying I've also seen many, many cases where the wife is devoutly obedient to the husband and it's a very happy household. I'm not negating that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to negate that. Yeah. But um, the women who aren't necessarily happy in that dynamic and it's not an abusive marriage. Yeah. How do they that? that navigate that uh then a lot of times you will see that the the wife is sort of taking inspiration from asia you know who i'm speaking about right wife of the pharaoh and then they are putting their dreams in their child that they want their their son to be different and they want to raise their daughter to be able to fulfill whatever it is they seek as their way to cope with their circumstance uh, that often seems to be a wider cultural issue where I think it was in, in in this hour class, but earlier in the month, you know, I think Sabrina had made a comment, you know, that like uh, uh, when we went further on it, that a lot of times women are conditioned just to, you know, keep their mouth shut at the cost of their health. And that I think is, uh, I think we all, it goes without saying that's destruction. And this is the, the, the point that I keep repeating that uh, when I'm officiating marriage, the, the bridegroom have to figure these things out in advance as much as, as much as you can. I mean, once you're living together, then you're going to discover many things about your personality and their personality that neither of you knew. Uh, yeah, I mean, another way, a question to, for everyone to think about is to what degree is the Quran giving you the most general prescription for most environments uh, versus giving you a set of ideals versus giving a set of reals. Uh, this is part of the ongoing interpretation of the Quran. What world is it describing? Is it describing an ideal world? Is it describing a very real world? Uh, or is it describing a very general world for which there's always going to be exceptions? Uh, my take is the last one. And then in order, it's giving a very general world for which when you have a specific situation, then you might immediately have exceptions. Number two is it's, it's speaking of a very real world. And then number three uh, is an ideal world uh, in terms of the prescriptions, the restrictions and everything that it gives. But but yeah, I mean, Ulfat, your 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 point is is well taken. That I think is the plight of a whole lot of ho households, you know. That that in a whole lot of cases, uh, it's very easy either just because of muscle or because of culture or both. That you know the women are taught to restrict themselves while the men are taught to just spread themselves. Any other thoughts, questions, reflections? I mean, for that, I, I appreciate the first, you know, the first part. Uh, if we look at it as a societal thing, that I do think if part of what we taught of here, actually, have I given you all my definition of masculinity? Have I given you like a, like literally what I teach the 20-year-olds, the 20-year-old guys? Masculinity is the sentence, I'll take care of it. Meaning any issue comes up, all right, I have to take care of it. Whatever the complaint is, okay, I'll take care of it. That's literally my summary of masculinity. Problem in the house, problem in relationships, problem in yourself, okay, I'll take care of it. As opposed to muscles, as opposed to domination, as opposed to vile language, as opposed to 
to misogyny. It's, I'll take care of it. And so then, yeah, Boston, were you saying something? Um, were you saying that there was a, an issue with that? The, the masculinity thing of uh, I'll take care of it type of thing? I don't I'm, understand. So I'm saying, okay, so what's the current model for masculinity for, for the common 20-year-old Muslim guy? It's Andrew Tate. I know very little about Andrew Tate until after he became Muslim. Uh, but the guys who like Andrew Tate, I can tell you all about, and their view is you have to be completely shredded muscularly, which, I mean, guys might generally appreciate anyway, but it has to be for the purpose of, of aesthetics and domination. And and so uh, masculinity for them is dominance of women, right, in all aspects, which is stupid, right? I mean, it's not even, I can't even call it absurd. It's just dumb. Yeah, boss. So what about the the I'll take care of it aspect of it? So I'm saying true masculinity is responsibility. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I'm just like, I know a lot of people that have that in their head, like, you know what? I'll take care of it. It's fine. I'll take care of it. I'll yeah, take care that's of it. what I'm saying. It's true masculinity. I, I thought that was I thought that was an issue. I thought that was no, 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 no. That that's what they say, and that's that's like what I'm shifting issue. the 20-year-olds to. Okay. That that's All the right. real definition is how responsible are you in, in addressing things. And so then if we extend that to the first sentence of this ayah, not as marriage, but as the general responsibility of men in society is protecting and taking care of the honor of women, uh, I think that would be a very revolutionary difference. I mean, think of all the cases that I get pulled into uh, regarding celebrity preachers. Uh, you'll have the whole legion of guys that side with the preacher against the victim woman. You know, why was she there? Why was she tempting him? Blah, blah, blah. Just absurdities. It's just stupid. Any other last questions, thoughts, reflections? All righty. So tomorrow, inshallah, we will dive headfirst into the second half and try to make sense of this. I've already introduced this. Like uh, I see this more as a restriction than a prescription, um, but we'll make more sense of it, inshallah. And and again, as always, I appreciate everyone sharing their reflections, their contentions, including pushing back on me. Uh, some of you made, especially in this section, uh, some really, really fantastic points too, mashallah. Uh, all righty. Subhanakallah, wa bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka, wa natubu ilaik. May Allah ta'ala reward you all, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.